It is, it is said that you can go weeks without food, you can go days without water, excuse, yeah, days without water, minutes without air, but only seconds without hope. And while that may seem a bit of a stretch, I'm not so sure that it's such a stretch in the days in which we live. Probably in my lifetime, I have never experienced so many conversations with people and so many different occasions to have to try and express where hope can be found and try to bring individuals from a place of apparent hopelessness into a place of hope and looking forward to a future, probably never before. And I, I'm not sure where you might find yourself today, but what we're going to talk about for a few moments is finding hope in a hopeless world. And I don't know what the reasons might be that you might be in a place of hopelessness, but consider these 10. You feel alone and abandoned. Life seems out of control. You don't, you don't see a purpose to anything. You're grieving a loss within your family or life in some respect. You don't have what you need. The, kind of the basic needs just feel like they've escaped you. You've done something wrong. And that just creates this sense of impending doom and despair. You're deeply wounded by somebody. You're pulled in the wrong direction. Every time you, every time you try to make you just go in the opposite. Somebody's pulling you there. You're, you're hounded by fear. And when everything in the world looks like it's defeat and loss. I don't know which of those 10, or maybe you're saying no, all 10 of the above. That's exactly where I'm at. Hopelessness is not something that I think is uncommon to us. We may find it in, in portions and there may be seasons. And I would suggest maybe that idea of a season of hopelessness might be very accurate and it might be exactly where you are today. And, and I think more times than not, more times than not, we're just like uh, Princess Leia. When in, in the original Star Wars, this is what she said, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. You're my only hope. And when you say, well, Gary, that's silly. I wouldn't look to some mythical, well, here's my point. We look everywhere else, but where we should to find hope. We, we are, we're willing to go to incredible lengths to find some hope, some way to get out of this moment of anguish and despair and hurt and loneliness. So I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning, are we willing to look beyond the good? Are we willing to look beyond the good and look to God and move from hopelessness to hopeful? That's my, that's my hope this morning. To use, an, to use that word one more time. It's my hope that we will look beyond the good things because there are a lot of good things. But those good things may not necessarily be God things when moving from a place of despair and hopelessness into a place of hope. But think about this. Hope is not optimism. Okay, hope is not optimism. Now, I consider myself pretty much an optimist. I, I now, all of us have, all of us like seasons of hopelessness. I think we all have seasons of pessimism where there's nothing goes right and we, I get it. But I think for the most part, I'm a pretty optimistic individual. And to be, op, to be an optimist is great. But optimism only works in things that you can control. 
If you have control over something, you can be optimistic about it. But when it's out of your control, how do you retain optimism in that particular situation? And I would also say that hope is more theological than it is psychological. There's something down deep in each of our hearts that cries for hope. And that extends beyond what we think, beyond the psychological side of our life, down to the theological side of our life. And I would also say, I, I was doing, as I was doing some research, I found this, I thought it was really three types of hope. First is wishful hope. Wishful hope. And it's kind of lame, honestly. Wishful hope is, is hoping that I win the Powerball in the Mega Millions. That's wishful hope. Did you know what your odds are? One in 305.5 million to win that. You are more likely to be struck by lightning than to win the lottery. And your odds in being struck by lightning are one in 500,000 in a given year. And if you live in New Mexico, it's a little bit more. Okay, that's... <laughs> but, but over a course of your 80 years of life, it goes from one in 500,000 to one in 10,000. So your odds increase of getting hit by lightning. So now I don't know that that's a good thing or not, but in relationship, in relationship to being hopeful over the lottery, it's just, that's wishful thinking. It's wishful hope. And really it's no hope at all. Second type of hope is expectant hope. Now expectant hope is a little better, but it's still not complete. Now expectant hope, it means you have to put something into it. Let me give you an example. My two little granddaughters, I have, um, let's see, Moxie's three and Maven's getting ready to turn two, okay? So their mom, Amanda, said, let's plant some plants. So they got these little pots and they painted the pots and they put their plants in and now they go out and they spray it with water. Now, what are they doing? They are expecting that something is going to grow out of that what they have planted. That's an expectant hope, but there's still no guarantee. Because you don't know whether or not that seed will actually, it will actually turn into a plant. We don't know that. It's expectant and it's possible, but it's still not there. But it's better than wishful because you've done something and there is a possibility of a result, expectant hope. But then there's a third type of hope, and that's certain hope. Certain hope. The Bible is a storehouse is a storehouse of wisdom, knowledge, and, ready, and hope, and hope. In fact, hope is used about 140 different times, depending upon the translation of the scriptures that you read. And in the Old Testament, hope, here's how hope is kind of characterized. It invites us to look eagerly, ahead eagerly, with confident expectation okay that's kind of the way the old testament frames now so remember there are two different two different sections of the bible the old testament and the new testament the old testament it's a with confident expectation looking ahead and and what we discover about hope is that it's always looked at or rather god always shows himself and this is important faithful therefore you can trust him so there's a consistency throughout this, this Old Testament that God shows himself faithful so you can trust him. He says this and he does this. And so people put their trust and their hope in God. So which creates what? A certain, a certainty. 
a certain hope. We can say with the psalmist, Psalm 71, I will never give up hope or stop praising you. You see, that is absolutely a possibility. In the New Testament, hope is always the expectation of something good. And, and what it's based on is something very significant. It's really based on two things. It is based on the unchangeable things. In other words, that God's promises, God cannot lie, and God's oath that God cannot change. And the unchanging word of God and the unchanging person of God are all we need to assure us that we are saved and kept for eternity. We have a hope to anchor our souls. We have a hope to anchor our souls. Scripture that you see is, is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. And listen to what it says. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I want you to look at a couple pictures. The first one, it, it, these, these are pictures of anchors. And I want you to think about what these things, look how big those things are. The one on the right side, the where the chain is, each of those chain links are 650 pounds. You see how small the person is in the middle of it. And then you see the other anchor with the man standing on the anchor of how big that anchor is. You say, well, okay, what's, what's the point? Well, what's the purpose of an anchor? Each of these anchors are for like super tankers, the really, really big ships. It's to hold that ship steady at, at anchorage. So they drop the anchor, it fits into the bedrock so it stays there to keep the ship steady when it's at anchor. From being drift, from drifting one way or the other, or drifting out into something that is precarious. Another reason for an anchor is you drop an anchor in heavy seas to do what? To provide stability. Now think about that when you relate this to Hebrews chapter 6, what we just read, that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The promises of God that are trustworthy and the unchangeable nature of God that he does not lie, that he will never change, provide for us an anchor that is firm and secure so that we will not drift from where we are and when, ready, and when the storms of life come, you will not be overwhelmed. And there's not a person who's hearing me this morning who has not experienced the storms of life. And those storms have the potential of bringing hopelessness without an anchor to hold us steady. So real hope, I would say it this way, real hope, that certain hope, is based on God's word, not my wishes. It is based on something that, is, that will hold us firm and secure. So how do we find hope in a hopeless world? Well, one verse of scripture this morning, some of you will be very much aware of this verse, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It's a very popular verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Pray with me. Jesus, thanks for your word this morning. Speak to us. Speak life and hope in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's a great verse of scripture. 
Tony Evans, who pastors Oak Cliff Bible Church in Dallas, Texas, here's what he said about this verse. He says, this is a good verse and a bad chapter. <laughs> I like that. I like it. That's why I stole it from him. Okay, just the story. I like that. It's a good verse in a bad chapter. But what might he mean? Well, this portion of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet had written a letter to a group of exiled Jews. They had been carried away into captivity into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And they're despondent, and I think they're feeling hopeless. They, they, don't, they don't see a future. They, they only see darkness. They only see things that, how are we ever going to, what, what is this all about? And really, there are five different things that kind of characterize their lives at this moment. They were in a desperate situation. Can you imagine being ripped from your home and carried so far away into a, a very, very challenging place? They were, their situation was desperate. They, they had negative circumstances. Everywhere they turned around, everything, there was nothing positive about it. They were also living in a pagan society, very much different from what they had experienced. They were also under the, under the hand of divine discipline. God had taken them to, into this place because they had been disobedient. And then one final thing is that there were a bunch of false promises that they were hearing and being told. And in those five different things, I, I believe we see so much similarity to where we live today. Our society is ever more turning away from the things of God. I, I think some of us are in very desperate circumstances. Our, our situation is desperate and we don't know where to turn. I think our circumstances are difficult to manage. I, I, I'm not, this whole thing about divine discipline, that's, that's terrifying to me. I don't, I don't want to be in a place where I'm under the kind of the disciplinary hand of the Lord. Why? Because of my disobedience and because of my rebellion, because of my stubbornness, I can, because of my pride. Because I could go on and on with a laundry list of stuff that I can think of about me. I don't want to be in that place. But think about what they're experiencing. And out of that, they have no hope. They have no hope. So what I'd like to do for just a few moments from this, I want to give you four things of how we can find hope. We can find hope in a hopeless world. The first is this. Finding hope in a hopeless world, you've got to begin with God. You have to begin with God. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number four. Now remember, Tony Evans said this is a good verse and a bad chapter. Where we're going to kind of look at a few verses of the chapter. Verse number four says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now you say, okay, what does that have to do anything? Do you notice something about this? It is striking to me. Here's what we say. Here's what it says. Do you notice that it is that it was God that carried them into exile. Okay, it was God who did this. So here's what I want you, to, want you to grab onto. So just as the exiles were reminded first that God is involved, so we should begin with God when facing hopelessness. I don't think it's coincidental that God reminds the exiles, hey, this is my doing. So it tells me I need, to look to the, I need to look to the author. I need to look to the one who can help me. The one who is with me in the midst of this very challenging season. 
The Old Testament character Job it was no stranger to hopelessness and despair. You can read about his story and the challenges that this individual went through are just, I guess you could say, legendary in many respects. But listen to what one of his friends, now, if you put the story into context, he had three friends that came and sat with him for seven days, never said anything, and then they started to talk. They should have just remained quiet, frankly. It would have been better off for Job. However, one of them says something, his name, this guy's name is Bildad, and he says something really profound. Listen to what he says. He says, those who forget God have no hope. Whoa. Whoa. Those who forget God. Now go back to the exiles. How does it start? I carried you into exile. And it's almost this little subtle reminder. Get your attention on me. Turn your attention to me. You, you come out of hopelessness by beginning with God. But you think about this, what? Those who forget God have no hope. Could it, could it be, could it be that we as a people, could it be that we as a people forget God, which leads us to hopelessness? Rick Warren, who pastors Saddleback Church in Orange County, he has an incredible talent for spinning a phrase. I mean, he just does. I want to tell you what, here's what he wrote. When a pe what happens? What happens when people forget God? Wealth is idolized. Truth is minimalized. Life is trivialized. Abortion is legalized. TV is vulgarized. Advertising is sensualized. Everything is sexualized and commercialized. Conscience is desensitized and anesthetized. Education is secularized, free markets are monopolized, races are polarized, politics are polarized, sports are scandalized, morals and ethics are liberalized. Regarding entertainment, he says crime is sensationalized and more immorality is popularized, drugs are legitimized, sin is glamorized, courts are paralyzed, manners are uncivilized, family breakups are rationalized, Christians are demonized, and God is marginalized. No wonder we have no hope. Because when we forget God... Hope's gone. Hope's gone. Deuteronomy chapter 429 says, if you seek God, your God, you'll be able to find him if you're serious. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Looking for him with your whole heart and soul. Psalm 43 says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. To find hope in a hopeless world, begin with God. Begin with God. Second, to find hope in a hopeless world, settle down. Settle down. Say that the third time. Settle down. One more time is probably good. Settle down. Jeremiah 29, verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not, let, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now there are a number of things within this passage of scripture 
that are really, really critical to this, to understanding what it means to settle down. The first one is, is in order to find hope in a hopeless world, you need to thrive in the environment in which you're in. And there are ways to do that. It is not to sit idly back. What does God say to these folks? He said, build houses, plant gardens, marry, give in marriage, increase and do not decrease. In other words, I'll give you a little phrase. I didn't, I didn't put this in the notes until like this morning, okay? Strive to thrive. We need to be people who are actively involved in positive things, good things. And I think sometimes one way to get out of hopelessness is just to not fall off the front stair. But it'd be good. I could keep on going and right down to the middle of the house. I keep Got to watch that thing. It's a little close. We need to be active and involved. Strive to thrive. Colossians 3. In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord and not people. In other words, a change of perspective. It changes everything. It changes everything. The second thing is that we need to calm down. We need to calm down. And this is the word. I, I picked up on this. I thought it was really interesting. And I know, I know what the text is saying. When, this, when it starts out, build houses and settle down. I know what that means. Settle down into the community that you, I get it. But I'm going to use settle down in just another, word, another way. It's time to settle your spirit down. You and I need to calm down. We need to take a deep breath. I want to tell you something. Every media feed, every social media feed, everything is just bombarding you with noise. And I want to tell you something, you will be so hopeless if you spend all of your time on social media. Should have had a lot of amens right there. That would have been a great opportunity. Because Mark Zuckerberg is listening this morning. They think I'm kidding. Mark's listening. My point is, there's a lot of good things about social media. Don't misunderstand me. I'm grateful for everything that we can find there. But I'm telling you, it can take you down some despairing pathways if that becomes the focus of your life. We need to calm down. We need, here's another little phrase I put down, I think, this morning or last night. We need to stop feeding the beast. It, it, it just, we got to stop. There are times, you know something, if I didn't have all of the responsibilities I have as your pastor, I probably wouldn't be on social media. I'm just telling you honestly. That's the reason I'm there is because to try and keep up with certain things and use it for certain, because I'm telling you, you can feed the beast of hopelessness by the things that you listen to and the things that you spend time reading and viewing. Job 37, 14. This is another one of Job's friends. His name was Elihu. Uh, this was kind of one of the good friends. He had three bad friends and one friend. I don't really know where Elihu is, but God didn't crit, God didn't go after Elihu as he went after the other three. But here's what Elihu says. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. I love that, I love that phrase. I just love it. Stop, semicolon. In other words, you gotta stop. Stop feeding the beast. Psalm 4610, calm down and learn that I'm God. The third thing is that we need to do good. So we need to thrive we need to calm down, and we need to do good. What a way to combat hopelessness. Here's what God says to the exiles. Seek the peace and the prosperity 
of the people to where you're living. So think of it this way. We went through, anybody here, anybody here go through the, the, everybody lived through 2020 with me? Or am I the only one that did that? Oh man, I'm really glad that there were others who got that enjoyable experience of 17 years of one year, you know. It was just endless, endless. Do you know what turns events like that from hopeless to hope? Is when we get outside of our house and we begin to invest in the people around us. And we begin to do good for others. Seek the peace and the prosperity to the place that I have sent you. Understand the neighborhood in which you live, the place that you work, God has divinely and supernaturally placed you there. Do good where God has called you. Do good. And it will take you out of a place of despair and hopelessness and into a place of hope. Be part of the solution, not contribute to the problem. Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord instead. I love that. It's a living Bible. Trust in the Lord instead. Be kind and good to others. Then you will live safely in the land. And what? Prosper. You seek the prosperity of others, you in turn will prosper. That's what God said to the exiles. Also Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have an opportunity, let's do good to all people. Oh, man. The next one, number four, is to pray. Pray. God tells the exiles to pray for their captors. <laughs> what? They carried us off from our homes. Then what? We have to live in this pagan society. This place is a mess. I don't like what they eat in Babylon. Right? Pray. We need to pray for our leaders, friends. We need to pray for our leaders, whether you agree with them or not. There's no qualification in Scripture. You pray for those you agree with. No. I can guarantee you those who were living, living under Roman rule did not agree with what the Roman emperor did, but they were called to pray for the emperor. Are we praying for our leaders? 1 Timothy verse two, or chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you, first of all, that's powerful, Priority, pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives marked with, by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Number five, how else do we calm down? Or, is we need to listen wisely. Listen wisely. I mentioned a minute ago that there are a lot of voices out there. Okay? And I don't, th what I'm gonna say right now is not in any way, shape, or form political. But during the election of last year, which was extraordinarily volatile, there were a lot of prophecies made about the election. How many of them did we listen to and buy into when it did not come to fruition? Now that's just one example. Who are we listening to? Where are, we, where are we finding information that is fueling the hopelessness that we may be experiencing? We need to listen wisely. You see what was happening? There were false prophets in Jeremiah's day who were telling the people in exile this. Don't worry about this. God's going to deliver us in two years. Two years. It's going to happen. Two years. When God had already said earlier 
you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Who are you going to believe? I choose to believe God's revealed word. Because this is where our certainty is found. In the unchanging nature of God and the unchanging nature of his promises. Very important. A few years ago, I happened upon a... Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is advice for me, okay? So I want you to understand that. A few years ago, I happened upon this... Um, I don't know what you call it. It was, a, it was a video of some sort where the person on the video was sharing very clearly the financial collapse and calamity that was coming very quickly upon our country. And the things, and I'll tell you honestly, here's what happened for me. I got anxious about it. And in some respects, I even got afraid, thinking, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do, right? And so, I, I, but there was, a, there was a point when God just said, stop it. Where is, your hope, where is your trust and your confidence? Is it in this or is it in me? You see, when you begin with God, you're going to listen more wisely. When you begin with God, what's going to happen is you're going to measure everything by his word and his unchanging nature. So we've got to quiet the voices and the noise. And I would suggest this. And this is, right, this is one of those great verses. Are you ready? That was lame. That was non-existent. That was crickets. Okay? Are you ready? All right, that's better. That's better. Philippians 4, you, you probably know this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Amen. Amen. Find hope in a hopeless world, settle down. Number three, to find hope in a hopeless world, be patient. Be patient. Jeremiah 29, 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. You notice that? We don't like to be patient. We don't like waiting. That's why fast food is what it is. Fast food. It's not good, but it's fast. We will give up the good for the fast. Am I correct? We just will. Because we don't like to wait. It is so, and I will tell you something. If you don't want patience, don't ask God for it. Because if you ask him for it, he's going to put you in situations that you're going to go, when is this ever going to end? Because patience is something, yes, it's a virtue, but it's one of those virtues that we would just as soon not have to deal with. But when it, and I, I've really thought, I've tried to think this through, and I want everybody's, and I know you're giving me your attention, you're so good, I appreciate that. I want you to hear me carefully. I was thinking about this, this point. You say, but Gary, I'm in the middle of a hopeless situation. How can I be patient in the midst of that? Because it's so hard. I'm telling you, man, I feel, I feel, your, I feel your pain. I really do. Because that's hard. But I look at occasions like this. This is, this is more than someone's made up thoughts in Jeremiah. This is a historical reality. 
that they were captive there for 70 years. And God said, when it's over, I'll bring you back to this place. Hear me again. When it's over, I'll bring you back. One more time. When it's over, I'll bring you back. When you begin with God, we are willing to wait until God brings us back. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but when you're doing the other things, we move out of that place of hopelessness in a, in a much better way in which we can actually adjust and understand and our, our attention's not on ourselves. We're not so internal. We're, we're external. We're helping others. We're doing good. We're, we're praying. We're, you see? And, and so the waiting changes in its nature. And just remember, God is never late, but he is seldom early. He is never late, but he is seldom early. Remember what we said about certain hope because the truth of God's promises and because God doesn't change, we have a hope to anchor our souls. Remember, but in the midst of this, we may be called upon to wait. Here's, here's Isaiah 40, and this is from the Amplified, which just amplifies the verse. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in him will gain new strength <laughs> and, renew, and renew their power They'll lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles rising towards the sun. They will run and not become weary. They'll walk and not grow tired. You see, in, even in the middle of waiting, we can grow stronger. We can grow stronger. So, how do we find hope in a hopeless world? Be patient. And finally, to find hope in a hopeless world, you've got to trust God. You have to trust him. Jeremiah 29, 11. Ready? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, people lose their hope. People lose their hope when they have, when they don't see their future. People lose their hope when they don't see their future. I can understand that. And honestly, when, it, when we're in a season of hopelessness, it's difficult, if not nearly impossible, to see any future at all. It's just, it's hard because we, everything is so dark. Everything is so bleak. We just can't see through the haze. We can't see through the fog. You just can't. But this verse reminds us, come on, this verse reminds us of something so significant. You ready? That God has plans for you. One more time. God has plans for you. Regardless of what everything else might look like, God has plans for you. God has plans for you. And those plans are good plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh, man, I can make it. Why? Because God has plans for me. God has plans for you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, I shouldn't assume you know it. But if you don't know it, know it. Mark it down, highlight it, memorize it, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You've got to trust God. On September the 12th, just a couple of weeks, three weeks, our curious topic that day is going to be, this is the end of the world, or is it? There's a lot of that swirling around. What is going on? Is this, are we in the, you know, is the, 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff I could start going into. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to save that for that day. But there's a passage of Scripture I've got to read to you that is so very important when it comes to this idea of hope and plans for you. 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let me just stop there. I want everybody to look at me, not at the screen. I'm going to say this again. Now, dear brothers and sisters, this is written to you and to me. Okay? We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you won't grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe, you ready? There should be a few little amens along the way here, just giving you, just setting you up, all right? For since we believe that Jesus died, was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. And we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord, here it is, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. Do you understand that there are plans no matter how bad things may seem today, how bad things may be tomorrow, I want you to know that God has plans for you and a hope for you. And they're good plans. In the midst of your hopelessness, God says, I have plans. Trust him. Trust him. Whatever the cause of this season of hopelessness, Wishful hope and expectant hope are not enough. They're not enough. Only certain hope, due to God's promises and his unchangeable nature, those are the only things that are going to get us through finding hope in a hopeless world. Let me conclude with this. Well, it's actually my first conclusion. Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah 43. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God's with you. God's with us. And so I would, just as a point of reference today, let us be agents. Let us, as the people of God, be agents of hope in a world that is increasingly hopeless. We can do that because we have a certain hope that's an anchor to our soul. So today, if you're hopeless, here's what I'm going to suggest. Okay? Here it is. The big aha. Begin with God. That's where it starts. Begin with God. His word is true. He's trustworthy, and he is the answer to your hopelessness today. Begin with God. All of the rest of the things that I've said, they're, they're good. They're good. They're right from God's word. They're good. But it's meaningless unless you start with God. You begin with him. You begin with him. James chapter 4, verse number 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. I love that. So you remember a minute ago, a few minutes ago, I began this way. 
talking about the 10 reasons why it can be hopeless. Consider, you feel abandoned, alone and abandoned, but God the Father will never abandon you. Life seems out of control. God's power is greater than any problem. You don't see purpose, but God fits everything into his plan. You're grieving a loss, God has a greater purpose for your life. You don't, need what, you don't have what you need, God has promised to meet all your needs. You have done something wrong. Well, Jesus died to pay for all that I've done wrong. You're deeply wounded by, by someone. God will settle the score someday. Pulled in the wrong direction, God has promised to help me. Hounded by fear, Jesus in me is greater than any other power. When it looks like defeat, that's not the end of the story. Begin with God. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you will move us from hopelessness to hope. In your name, Jesus. Amen.